Hello everyone, I hope you're doing well today, and I hope you're ready to hear about some church history, because I got some more for you today. It's been a bit since I've done one of these. Uh, big snowstorms have a way of just throwing you all off your schedule and getting in the way of stuff, and we'd have, we've had some big snowstorms out uh, in my part of the world lately. Uh, so it's been a little while, but I'm, I'm excited to come again and, and tell you about a, another big character in church history, uh, although this one's not quite as big or as well known, I guess I should say, as some of the others. Uh, big, well, she was, and we're going to be talking about a lady today, which is the first two. Uh, it's about time. We've done a few. We haven't talked about any women yet, but there were some pretty impressive women in Christian history, and this is one of them. Uh, so far, I've talked about people who you may not have known their whole story, but you probably heard about them. You know, Constantine, Augustine, these are, are people you've maybe heard about in history back in school. Uh, but today's character, you probably didn't, not nearly as well known, um, and doesn't really have the legacy quite of, of those kind of characters in church history, but still an incredibly interesting story and, and someone worth learning about. Today we are going to talk about Theodora, or Empress Theodora, as she becomes known later in her life, uh, but definitely not how she starts out. Uh, she starts out in very different circumstances, sometime around the year 580. We're not really sure exactly when she was born, but right around that time period, uh, she was born to uh, a barkeeper. That's what her father did. Uh, not an occupation you hear about in today's world, but back then it existed. Uh, he kept bears. Uh, <laughs> not just, like, we probably think, why do you keep bears? Well, it was for entertainment purposes. What else would you do with bears? Uh, he was part of the the Hippodrome entertainment package. The Hippodrome was this just massive stadium where they held chariot races in Constantinople. Uh, people came from far and wide to come to the races. It was a huge spectacle. Uh, and in between races, they would send out other forms of entertainment, including bears who would entertain the crowds. And, and they had actresses and jugglers and gymnastics and, you know, all kind of stuff of that nature, just uh, kind of halftime entertainment type stuff, uh, kind of what we're familiar with today. And that's what her dad did. That's the family she was born into. Uh, her dad kept bears uh, for the Hippodrome Entertainment. Uh, her mom was an actress. Uh, so they kind of, you know, both were doing their thing in the midst of all the chariot races going on. Just quite the interesting place, I think, to grow up in, uh, especially knowing how passionate and how intense the the teams were in the Hippodrome. They had different factions. They went by colors. Uh, Theodora was born to a green family. And I mean, they were very, very passionate. Uh, fan bases would attend these. Or, you know, it was not uncommon for violence to break out and riots. Think of like hooliganism in soccer over in Europe. Uh, it was just, it was it was really quite an interesting place to to have to grow up. I mean, there's I can't even imagine what she went through, uh, the kind of stuff she would have saw in that then type of upbringing. And she was brought up right in the midst of it. Uh, when she was still fairly young, she uh, took after her mom and became an actress and and went along with you know all the entertainment. She became an entertainer herself, and she started uh, just being part of the crew. Uh, while she was a child also, her, her father died, uh, which was a big traumatic event. Uh, so again, just very unusual upbringing. Uh, her mother did get remarried, 
Uh, and then she went to the leader of the Greens and said, hey, can my new husband become the new bear trainer? Because I know we have an opening. Apparently she didn't wait long to get remarried. Uh, the leader of the Greens said, no, I gave it to somebody else already. So she became outraged and went to the Blues and said, hey, I'll join your faction if you give my new husband a job. And they did. So they switched from the Green to the Blues, which was a big scandal, I'm sure, in the day. But anyway, Theodora then became an actress for the Blues. Uh, and now, and when I say actress, it's not like actress what we think of. We think of, you know, someone in Hollywood movies. Uh, and in fact, you know, even all of this, all of this entertainment stuff, you know, for our world and our society, entertainment people are big celebrities. They're often, you know, making lots of money and they're rich and famous. Uh, that was not the case for entertainers in the ancient world, not the case for actresses, for sure. Right? It, it was a very... Well, it was a hard way to earn a living. You were not well thought of often in in society. Uh, and and part of that is because like I said actresses aren't like what we think of as movie stars, you know. They would have been more like a, a dancer, an acrobat, uh, a stripper was usually a part of it and prostitution. In fact, uh, in many ancient sources, actress is synonymous for prostitute. Um, that was part of the deal. You usually ended up having to to sleep with uh, well, the rich people who came to these shows, like the the wealthy people in society, would uh, just well, they'd hire you for a night of fun, is what they'd do, because actresses typically were, you know, very attractive women, uh, and we know that that's what Theodora was involved in. I mean, as an actress, that's just the way it was. Um, we have sources about that. One of the biggest sources we have on Theodora's life uh, is very odd it was written by a guy who he, he wrote an official source he was an official historian it was all very up and up and he spoke actually very highly of theodora but then we have all the sources that give us way more info uh, that was written by the same guy who uh, apparently also had a grudge it's called the secret histories uh, and it's it's written kind of like a tabloid and it's full of just scandalous stuff uh, and historians have some serious doubts about what he's going on there because we know he really didn't like uh, Theodora and well, her eventual husband who we'll get to. And so a lot of the stuff that he wrote there, which is, like I said, more detailed, seems also kind of inaccurate. But we do have enough sources with him and with other people that that we know she was involved with some scandalous stuff, like prostitution and, and stripper acts and uh, exotic dancing and, uh, you know, the... The, the legend is that she had a particularly scandalous act involving geese who joined her on stage for her strip show, uh, which I'm not going to get into the details of, but it's it's quite something. Uh, so she lived kind of a sordid life. That's That was way she what she grew up in. That's what she became a part of. Uh, that was just, that was her lot in life. She really didn't have much of a choice. That's, that's just what she was born into. Uh, but Eventually, she does kind of get out of that, kind of, I say, because um, as a, a prostitute, she she met a, a mid-level politician of some wealth named Hibokalus, who took him, her as his mistress. And so then she goes off as his mistress and lives with him, and she takes he takes her off to North Africa uh, when she's only about 16. So again, it's a horrible upbringing. Like, it's just horrific to think about how young she is when this stuff is happening. Uh, and uh, But her life just keeps getting worse as this Habaculus guy, again, 
Now, Stranser in Africa, um, just besides he's done with her, kicks her out. And so now she's got to kind of just figure out how to survive all by herself. She doesn't have her family. She doesn't have the connections she had in Constantinople. Uh, she ends up landing in Alexandria, where she does make some friends. And then it's there in Alexandria that she also encounters uh, Christianity. And she comes to believe in Christ. And she walks away from uh, her life as a as an actress, as a prostitute. Uh, uh, she leaves all that. She renounces that former lifestyle. And uh, she eventually returns to Constantinople. And she's now, um, well, she's a, a wool spinner. right? She, she's someone who, who works at the loom and, and makes an honorable living uh, doing so. And this was a big moment, obviously. Uh, in Theodora's life, I mean, getting getting out of that other lifestyle and embracing Christ, especially, was uh, was a big deal. Uh, now, it's here I got to mention that uh, the Christianity she converged to is a very specific form of Christianity that existed at that point in history, and we don't. It's not really something we talk about today, but it was called monotheism or myotheism. It's they're kind of synonymous in a way, but I'm going to use mono. Uh, because it helps explain what it actually is. See, back then people argued about theology, like a lot of different theological stuff, like stuff we don't really argue about or really care about all that much anymore. I mean, I mean, it's still stuff we that's in our theology, but it's just not stuff we, we're going to sit around arguing. Uh, like, in particular, the thing that they were arguing about at this time was uh, the nature of Christ. And in terms of, well, was he a human being or God? That was an argument that the ancient world had. Well... Everybody agreed he was both. Right? That became uh, that became the official stance of the church. He was a human being, and he was God. He was both. Uh, he was not one or the other. Right? And anybody who said otherwise was a heretic. Okay, so he's both. But how does that work? <laughs> and so uh, was he part God, part man? Was he all God and just human for a bit and then went back to God? Um how many how many natures did he have, I guess, is what the question was. And the official stance that the church ends up taking, uh, thanks to a council at Chalcedon in 451, is that he has two natures. He is both human and God, and they're two separate things, and they both exist in him. Uh, Monophysites say, no, he was both human and he was both God, but he really only had one nature, and it was kind of a dual scenario. So that's the argument. Does he have two natures or does he have one nature? Again, it's not something you've probably ever thought about. It's not something we talk about much or fight about today. But back in that time, they did. And she fell into the, this little subset of Christianity that was a monophysite that believed he had one nature. That, according to Chalcedon, uh, was heretical. But just because something's pronounced heretical doesn't mean people are going to stop believing it. And so people in Alexandria, that's was a big group of people who believed that, and that's the version of Christianity she came into. And you're probably wondering why any of this matters. Well, it's going to come up again in our story. So I wanted to set the background. But back to Constantinople, where she's now living. Uh, she meets a guy named Justinian. Um, she maybe actually met him before that in Antioch. Hard to say. It's very possible. But anyway, she met him at some point in her life. Uh, he is 20 years older than her. But neither of them seem to mind. They fall madly in love. Like, madly in love. And it's, we're going to see as this progresses, it's actually a pretty great love story between the two. Uh, now, Justinian is an interesting character. 
he also came from a poor family. Um, he was from a peasant family in Illyricum, which is kind of like present-day Serbia or Croatia. Uh, but luckily for Justinian, even though he was born into that family, uh, his uncle, who was also born as a peasant in that same area, uh, was doing some pretty big things in the world. His uncle, named Justin, was able to work his way through military success and just brilliant politicking, uh, and he, well, he becomes emperor. <laughs> he becomes emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire. Uh, it was an interesting scenario. The The current empire emperor died childless. You have multiple people kind of competing to be the new emperor. Uh, Justin is not one of them really in the running. He's the commander of the palace guard, so he's someone of some status, and he's somewhat known. And one of the bigwigs who is trying to become the emperor comes to Justin and gives him a just a bunch of money and says, go out there and you know bribe the people who are going to be voting. Like there, there was a senate, there was councils. Bribe the people who are going to be voting for emperor, so I'll win. <laughs> what Justin does is he goes and takes all this money he was just given and goes and bribes these people, but bribes so they'll vote for him <laughs> instead of the guy who gave him the money. And it works, right? And so Justin becomes the new emperor. I'm sure that guy was very shocked. And now Justinian is the nephew of the emperor, uh, and Justin also does not have children. And so Justinian is kind of uh, a favorite nephew. He's the right-hand man of his uncle. He he is able to hold several positions of power. He rises through the ranks. Uh, eventually, he gets to be named co-emperor, actually, uh, near the end of Justin's life, and ultimately, he becomes the next emperor. Uh, and so here we have uh, Theodora, this former prostitute and actress who came from nothing who's had this really rough life up to this point uh, and she's got this great new boyfriend they're madly in love this guy is a somebody he's powerful he's he's rich he's on his way to even greater things uh, there's just one problem they can't get married not according to roman law anyway uh, in roman law it said that someone of justinian's rank of the senator class could not marry someone of Theodora's class, which is about the bottom of the barrel. Um, but the good news is, when your uncle is the emperor, you can change things like laws. <laughs> and so Justin repeals that law and says, all right, nope, it's legal for anyone to marry anyone else regardless of class. Uh, so Justinian and Theodora get married, which was a very blessed and happy day for them. And she becomes just an incredibly important part of his life. She's kind of, she becomes really his right-hand man is, is in his role as emperor. She had a lot of influence on him and his decision-making. Um, Justinian called her my partner in deliberation, uh, which seems to be how she acted. She was very vocal on policies, on laws, and on, on what was happening in the kingdom. They kind of ruled together. Uh, the way m many historians will talk about him, it's Justinian and Theodora. Like they're just, they're a package deal because she was such a huge part uh, have, of his life. Uh, and she uses this position as empress to make just some really good changes. Um, a lot of stuff that really benefited women. Um, you know, Justinian, like Theodora, was a Christian. And he was a very devout Christian, and they both were, took that very serious, that as heads of state, they were also in a spot to be heads of church and to use their beliefs and their faith uh, to impact the laws they made and the way their empire treated people. Right? And so laws were passed, which made it much easier uh, for Christians to become free if they were slaves. It kind of opened up the way for 
for freedom for all Christian slaves. Uh, one of the big things that Theodora, you can see her hand on, was uh, giving legal rights to, to women and children, something she didn't have, right? So she had really very little chance to, to rise up in society in the the world she was lived in, and she went about making sure that that could change. Um, she made it harder to divorce your wife, which was a thing. When I say divorce your wife, because that's usually the way it went, a wife could not divorce her husband in that culture, but uh, a husband could just ditch his wife for any reason, so they made laws to kind of clamp down on that and get rid of some of that. Um, and th and they reduced the number of capital crimes. They stopped killing as many people for, for stuff. Right? Again, it's all stuff that really ties into their faith. And you can see a lot of the influence of Christ in the way they ruled. Um, another thing she did, uh, which really shows uh, her her compassion and her Christian side, is she went out and, and she spent mass amounts of money buying prostitutes out of slavery and giving them their freedom. A lot of people were forced into prostitution as a form of slavery, which was, again, horrific. And she went out of her way to make sure that these women, often typically young, young women, uh, could get out of that life. And she actually established a home for them where they could live and they could get on their feet and they could find new work and she would help them with all of that. Um, and so it was just a tremendous thing, tremendous thing she did. Uh, for hundreds and hundreds of young girls where she was able to get them out of that life uh, and into something better, something I'm sure she would have loved for someone to do for her. Um, they were just, they were very progressive in their actions, which not everyone liked. We think that's why that historian guy wasn't a big fan of them. He was kind of an old school kind of guy. And and he wasn't alone. There was a lot of people who didn't like how progressive they were in a lot of their laws. And, and, and the fact that a lot of these new laws and systems and they were very big you know and helping the poor and doing that uh, brought with it new taxes right and so um kind of in the midst of their reign uh, there was a huge riot that broke out in constantinople it's called the nika riots it started as this fight between two hippodrome factions uh, the green and the blues were going at it right and uh, it spilled into the streets there was mass violence there was rioting um j the army had to come in and squash it and Justinian was very hard in punishing these instigators who started this whole thing which led to more people being upset because you know the chariot drivers were kind of celebrities it, the entertainers in between weren't but the chariot drivers people liked and these were some of the biggest named chariot drivers and here he is punishing them very harshly and they were mad and so more riots broke out it just there's this just general anger in the city uh, about a lot of things, including how they're governing right now, and this was kind of the tipping point. And so, it's it just it's mass riots, and there's fires, and they're burning buildings down, and they're burning churches down, and like much of the city of Constantinople is actually destroyed at this time. And and Justinian is just he wants to run, he he wants to run away and flee and get out of there and save his life and not worry about what happens to any of it. And it's uh, Theodora comes in and says, you know, an emperor cannot run. Right? And she gives this rousing speech. Uh, it's really kind of great where she just kind of lays into him and be like, no, you are the emperor. You're in charge. You cannot run. You have to fix this. Um, it's our duty. And so Justinian stays and uh, he gets his troops to come subdue the riots and then kind of clean up the mess that's left afterwards after much of the city is destroyed, which actually leads to some pretty great things. They're able to, to rebuild the city as they want. Um, 
They built a lot of churches, 25 in Constantinople alone and many in other places. I mean, but this is just part of the rebuilding process. They just build really a lot of big, lovely churches, one of which is, you've probably heard of, the Hagia Sophia, which is still one of the grandest and most beautiful churches in the world. Well, that was built by Justinian and Theodora uh, after these riots. So that's a lasting legacy that still exists to this day. Um, and it's just a sign of, of how incredibly devout they both were. Uh, the only issue was they were devout, well, to different sects of Christianity. They both were very devout Christians. But like I said, Theodora was this monophysite. Uh, Justinian was a staunch Chalcedonian. Right? Uh, kind of his uncle was too. And, and Justin actually persecuted these heretics, these monophysites who shouldn't be allowed because... Chalcedon ruled, and we're going to go with that. And so Justin persecuted um, um, Justinian, even though he was a staunch Chalcedonian. He did not, because he was married to a monophysite. Uh, and I, that's kind of what I love about this couple, is that they both were very devout. They both had their beliefs, and they were different beliefs, and they didn't let it get to them. They were able to coexist, to love each other, even though they didn't agree on everything. Uh, I imagine they had some very interesting conversations over the dinner table. Uh, but they respected that their beliefs were different. And and Justinian kind of took that same attitude to her, the entire empire. Uh, he worked really hard to try to find compromise between the Chalcedonians and the Monophysites, to try to to bring these two groups together. Uh, he was he was hesitant to go out and, and persecute them and execute the heretics like his uncle did. Uh, and he really worked to try to, to mediate between the two and find common ground and find ways that maybe he could reunite the church into one. That was really his goal. Um, and, and Theodora was kind of right there with him. Uh, she was probably a little bit more... <laughs> biased towards her side than Justinian was. Uh, she was known to kind of, well, she would hide those, those priests and pastors who were labeled as heretics. And um, one of which, actually, when she died, he was still, he was kind of hiding in her quarters. And he'd been there for probably 12 years, we think. Uh, so she was very loyal to her side, probably because her side was the minority and her side was the one getting the harsh persecution against. So you get that. Um, but I think it's just, it's a I think it's a beautiful thing to think about is these two people, even though their theology is slightly different, right? and I mean slightly, it's really not this huge theological split, but their theologies are slightly different, and yet they, well, they love each other, and they want to work together, and they want to find compromise, and they want the church to be one. Um, it didn't work, unfortunately, because church people are stubborn people and always have been. Uh, you know, the... The church leaders at the time, who were all Chalcedonians, said, "No, they're heretics. They won't. They won't listen to what the church ruled. This is the way you have to believe. If you won't believe like we believe, you can't be a part of us." Which is still kind of a bummer. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, and unfortunately, church people are still kind of stubborn. Which is again why I like this story because I think, I think we need to hear stories of people like this to understand that you know we don't have to all agree about everything all the time we can have theological differences and still be united because in christ we're one and that's what really matters and we can still do a lot of good in the world and justinian and theodora even though they came from different little sects of christianity did a lot of good in the world when they worked together and because they worked together um, they didn't let those differences get between them 
And in, in, in doing so and being united and going out and doing Christ's work, they were able to, to do some tremendous things for the lives of others uh, during their reign. Theodora dies in 548, fairly young, late 40s, early 50s, we figure, uh, likely of cancer. Um, it's hard to ever know why someone in the ancient world died, but, but they're just based on what the ancient sources say um, and her age. It, it seems very likely that cancer is uh, the cause. Justinian takes her death incredibly hard. Again, this is a great love story. They truly, truly loved each other. Uh, and so her passing, um, even though he was significantly older than her, her passing young really devastated him. Uh, he actually ends up going on to rule for 17 more years before he dies, uh, but he never remarries, which is kind of odd for an emperor. Emperors usually would get a wife. Uh, that was, well, just part of the deal. But he didn't want a new wife. He wanted Theodora. Um, and accounts of him after her death... Uh, he's just a drastically changed person. He is, he, I mean, he's just sad. He doesn't have the, the vigor he once did to rule. Uh, he just, he lives the rest of his life missing her. And uh, he doesn't go out and do a lot of great deeds after she dies. And maybe that was partly because of how in, influential and important she was by his side. Because maybe she was the one calling a lot of the shots, which is very possible uh, based on what we know of her. She was that kind of a leader and a figure. Um, and partly because he just was devastated. They they did truly love one another. And and interestingly enough, uh, as he goes on the rest of his life, he uh, he kind of switches more and more to that monophysite side. Uh, I think it kind of, in his heart, it, it connects him back to her because that's what she was. That's what she believed. And so he becomes very lenient on them and, and even starts to support them in many ways. Um, yeah, he just, he really missed her. And, and wanted to be involved with anything she was involved in. So that's the story of, of Theodora and Justinian. Uh, but I wanted to focus more on Theodora. Uh, a lot of, you know, people let Justinian get some of the the attention, but I, I thought she's the more interesting figure of the two. Um, this person who came from, from nothing uh, and yet achieved a lot. And I, I like to think because God put her in a place to achieve a lot. She's one of those classic stories of someone who who God encountered and God placed uh, in a role that, that she could really have an impact on those around her. Uh, and she did. She did. She may not have this huge lasting influence on the church, which is maybe why you haven't heard of her, uh, but she had a huge influence on the people alive at her time, uh, and especially on a lot of those young women. Um, that cannot be understated, the good she did for them. So, there you go. Theodora, Empress of Constantinople, leader of the Byzantine Empire, uh, great person in history. Thanks for listening, everybody.